Hello everyone, welcome back to the Latina Boss Podcast. My name is Kelly and I am your host and the founder of the Latina Boss community. Today, I'm glad to have a chat with one of my favorite marketers and brave women. She is Lorena Morales. Lorena, welcome on board. Thank you, Kelly. It's, it's such an honor to, to be here. I uh, Even more because it's a Latino Heritage Month. It's such a pleasure to find women like you that are trying to leveraging voices, not only of women, but like the Latino um, successful people in general. Uh, I don't know if that tag is, 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 is something for me, but uh, I, I think I'm doing something right after 10 years. I'm still here, so uh, there should be something there. Absolutely, Lorena. It is an honor to have you here as our guest speaker today. So for all of you who don't really know a lot about Lorena, so Lorena Morales, she's a Mexican career-driven Latina boss who lives and works in the Bay Area in the U.S. So for almost the past 10 years, Lorena has worked in tech, mainly for startups, scaling teams, and companies of all sizes. And currently, she's the VP of Marketing at Go Nimbly. So Lorena, tell us a bit more about your experience as a Latina in the U.S., but also as a Latina in tech. It was honestly super hard, Kelly, because at the very beginning, like I came to the U.S. as, as a student on an F1 visa. And at the very beginning, I started to work with, with very small companies trying to get my, my TM visa or my OPT approved, all of, all of these uh, working permits in order to stay in the country. I knew it, it was going to take um, a lot of my time and a lot of my effort and a lot of confidence in, in my 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 companies uh, to really make it here. So when we talk about leadership, I think people tend to confuse it a little bit with, with, with the title per se. And even though right now I am indeed in the, in the highest level of these 10 years of, of, as a marketer, um, I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's more an attitude type of thing. The more that I grew over the years, the more I realized it was my job to empower others. So that's kind of the mentality that I have taken in, into growing teams and into becoming um, a manager and a coach more than a leader, because I think a, a leader is, is kind of a very loaded word that, again, people can confuse very easily. Um, moreover, I think uh, the, the entire process of, of staying in the U.S. can be very detrimental for for people coming from other countries, especially from Mexico, because you need to be constantly proving yourself. So I think what it took for me and how I managed or navigated uh, being in different sizes of companies, as you mentioned, is simply understanding that I needed to, to see through, through, through my bosses or through my team to, do, to more like the human level in order to connect and in order for them to understand that I was not kidding and that I was really serious about my job. Um, so I think it's kind of a mix of components on, in order to make it or break it um, in, in the US. And, um, and today I'm just very proud that I have scaled both companies and teams uh, to, to like and everything from 6 million um, ARR to 14 million. Um, the opportunity to scale bigger hasn't come yet, but I am very confident that that's gonna come. So I think that's, 
that's how I kind of started this, this discussion. Yeah. So thank you so much for being so honest and show your, your vulnerability, right, Lorena? So I really appreciate that. Uh, I bet this is going to be helpful for other Latinas out there. So I wonder during your career and since you arrived in the U.S., so how have you faced imposter syndrome and what is like your main advice to, you know, someone who wants to advocate for, for themselves, but they don't know how to do it? Related to that, because when I started in, you know, my career, I started my career in London. But obviously, I have South American accent as well. And at the beginning, it was like, you know, I was feeling a bit like ashamed, like, oh my gosh, maybe they cannot understand me. But, you know, I think when you are getting older and more with more experience, so what you are doing is like just embrace your own culture and your own identity because at the end of the day, this is what makes you different and what makes you unique. So I guess um, that is, uh, I think, uh, one of the best ways as well to advocate for yourself because sometimes it's not just about get a promotion, but it's more about be able to, you know, um, when you are in a meeting or where you are, you know, in a like public speaker uh, somewhere. So just make sure who you are, your identity, and with your weaknesses and your strengths, and just go for that. Because sometimes when you don't really know about your your own self, it's okay. So let's move on. So to touch base a little bit more about your family, your friends. So I don't know if you have like 100% of your friends who are Latinos or if you have a mix of that. So obviously when you arrive, uh, you had your family with you or how was that? It was probably one of the, the hardest decisions to, to make because I, I am the youngest of three siblings. Um, my I was the first one on, on leaving home and you know as, as as a very traditional Mexican family that's kind of a big deal right like uh, you you don't leave home that that early um, and I was the first one then my siblings moved to my sister moved to Luxembourg and then my my brother moved to Canada and my parents retired to to the south of Mexico so then it became this thing where the opportunities that I had to talk to my family in hard moments or, or in hard times, it was only one time um, because of the schedules, of the different schedules. Mm -hmm. So if something happened, I knew that I couldn't reach my sister um, after 10 a.m. Uh, and then my brother was also in another schedule. And then holidays, it was like, okay, let's try all of us to, to get in, in, in the same moment and, and in the same time. But I guess this ties a little bit with with the theme of sacrifices. Um, we, we are born with this chip uh, on us that is the idea of becoming something in life. And I think for me, that was always very, very close to the idea of having a career. And when I decided to come and, and, and pursue my first uh, master's degree, I knew that certain level of separation with my friends and family could naturally happen. Like you, you, you need to accept that. But I think also my personality allowed me 
to be more um, anti-fragile because I, I don't like the, the word resilience. I don't think the purpose of anything in this life should be to go back to what you were or what, or what things were. I think the purpose of life is absorbing the impacts of, 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 of life and just become stronger. So when I came to the US, I, I changed everything. The way I laughed, the way I ate, the way I understood um, people, the way I socialized. So for example, the Mexican, like you, the Mexican, the Mexican culture, you make fun about literally everything, including death, including your culture, including like we are that type of people. And coming to the US, it was weird because first of all, nobody wants to be touched. Like the Mexicans, you just hug everyone and you kiss everyone. And here in the US, there's a, a certain percentage of, of Asian, um, of the Asian culture here that are very, very talented. And that some of them were my friends at the very beginning in, in my uh, school because it was an international program. And it was so funny at the very beginning because they were so uncomfortable, Kelly, but like so uncomfortable that I, I just laughed. And I started to do it more and more on purpose. Um, soon after, uh, unfortunately, most of my friends of my first degree didn't make it. They, they didn't get to stay in the country. So it became a little bit of a lonely life. Um, and, I, and I had very few friends and those are the friends that I keep today. So, I mean, I've never been super social, let's be honest. But uh, I think the, 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 the amount of people that stayed um, were the, the ones that I needed. And that life put me to just survive as a social human that every, every, everyone else is. And to answer your question, no, none of them are, are Latinos uh, right now, <laughs> um, except my partner, my partner, of course. Um, but my friends, all of them are international. So I, I pushed myself harder in order to feel more comfortable because if I, if, if I spend my time with Mexicans or with Latin Americans, I knew that, that my English would never, never, ever get better. Uh, so I think it was very intentional, the way I created friendships and the way I networked um, here in, in San Francisco, especially the Bay Area, that is a very cosmopolite, 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 I don't know if that's a word, but uh, people will understand. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I think I, I was very, very intentional from the very beginning in, in that sense. Mm. Yeah, I think that is why the best way is not just about uh, practice English and improve your English, but it's as well, uh, you know, that you can uh, get an international mindset. So when you have, you know, friends that they are coming from, you know, different countries, uh, this happened to me as well when I just moved to London. So I was just looking for no Hispanic, either Spaniards or Latinos friends, because obviously I wanted to practice my English all the time. And also I, I am passionate about international traveling and all of that. So for me, it was like, no, I am here. So I have my Hispanic friends in Spain. So let's just, you know, make new friends who are from different, you know, different countries. Yeah. So, okay, cool. So I wonder how you face that kind of uh, lack of sense of belonging and how you overcome that. Because at the end of the day, right now, you're in a really uh, good position, uh, professional, but also Personally, I think uh, you have developed your leadership skills along the way. So how do you go there and how do you face that kind of uh, lack of sense of belonging? Oh, um, 
it's kind of a dichotomy because when you think about it is you made this decision of coming to a foreign country. Nobody pushed you to be here in the US. So when you think about it, it's kind of it's it's kind of a weird feeling because yes, you when people tell me like where where is home for you, I never have a good answer because people say, Yeah, home is where your parents are. Well, my parents are here, but my siblings are there and then like my family is all over the world. So it's not even about like the people that you care more about. Um because I I, I could have like four different answers. I think it's more about where you feel you can be your honest and true self, where you can call home. And for me, that was San Francisco from the day that I visited as a tourist. Um, I promised to myself that I would live here. Uh, I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I didn't know anything, but uh, I, I knew I wanted to be in this city. So, but with that, it came the idea of, governments that constantly repeat you that you don't belong here, that you don't get to call home the city that you chose. Even when you have invested, in my case, I have invested in this country way much more than what I invested in Mexico uh, ever, both time and money. Um, and still today, after 10, almost 10 years, the verdict is still unknown. And what that makes to the mind of an immigrant, I think it's indescribable. Um, I think it crushes something inside of you that never really repairs. So how do you get over it? I don't think I have, honestly. Um, I'm still very afraid that after all my work and all my sacrifices and all my happiness as well, someone is gonna say, tell to me like, go back to Mexico because this is not your home. Um, and people don't talk about that very often because it's very political, because it's very taboo, because it's also a little bit cliche, because it's also, but, it, but it's very real. Um, as, as Mexicans, there, there's not a power of, of arms welcoming us saying like, hey, come and work here. And you have to fight and like pretty much kill your asked to make it because there's no other way. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't think I have, I have overcome it 100% yet. I just try to focus on what I have today and try to enjoy it because it might be taken away. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you because sometimes we are trying just to, you know, just thinking about what we don't have versus just be grateful what we have achieved. And then obviously keep your ambitions there because at the end of the day, you have goals that you want to pursue. But um, uh, I think it's something that is really important for us as human beings is just uh, have some moment to just be grateful about what we have achieved. Even if it's just a little kind of, you know, achievement, uh, it's something that make us, you know, feel better and gonna help us to, you know, to move forward and go to the next. Um, you know, next step in our career or our personal life. So um, I wonder, you know, I really wonder um, if you can share with us what are your thoughts about the number of celebrations that you could enjoy because you were working, because you were focused on your work, 
now that you have achieved uh, another milestone as a VP of marketing in your current company. So how you feel about those nights that you couldn't go out, those uh, birthdays that you miss it because you were working and you couldn't travel? So do you have any regret on those? And what is like your thoughts on based on your experience about that? You're gonna get me here to cry, Kelly. Uh, very, very vulnerable questions in here. I think um, I'm not a woman of regrets, to be honest. I don't regret pretty much anything in my life. I think everything that you have, it's because you either, uh, because you provoke it in, in a way. But I do have two regrets. Um, I was not able to be in, with my sister in Luxembourg when my two nephews were born. Today they are two and almost one. And they are the new loves of my life. Um, and it's really hard because I, I was, I, I've been very close to my sister since, since we were very, very, very little. So you grow up with this idea and this ideal scenario where like, oh, when you're gonna have kids, I'm gonna be holding your hand and I'm gonna be, they're almost like cutting the umbilical cord instead of the husband or <laughs> something like that. And it ends up not happening, right? Because you have an entirely different life than what you expected. So I think the way I have dealt with that is number one, knowing that those decisions were taken a hundred percent with an intention behind it. Secondly, not to be too hard on myself because everything that is good in this life, it's never going to come easy and it's never going to come for free. And, num and number three, taking care of my mind. Um, that has been a, a, a struggle a little bit over the last seven years, uh, but I make sure to go to my therapist every month um, and work these things because they impact your mind and they impact your soul and they they change you forever. So I think that's what I would recommend to the audience. Uh, don't be ashamed, especially if you if you are a, um, a Latino or a Latina. I know those things are a little frowned open. And I think those things are kind of difficult to accept and to go and look for help. And I would say I am the first person to to, to tell to my teams like, hey, are you okay? How many hours of sleep you got last night? I don't, I never start a conversation with, hey, how are you? Because that doesn't really tell me anything. I usually start conversations with, if you would have to describe your mind with a color, what color would that be? Or like, what has been on your mind these days? Or like what I told you, like how many hours of sleep have you had in, in this week? And to my direct team, my direct reports, what I make sure to ask every single day is like how many hours you worked. Because um, I think those things have had a toll on myself. Uh, I overworked. I, I also, you're right, I couldn't travel for a while because of my visa status and, and that type of thing. So there is not a, an easy way to, to solve these things or to, I can't tell you a recipe to tell you hey, this is how you deal with those things that are going to impact your life. But what I can tell you is there's a way out and there's always options in this life. And understanding that, I think, takes you from A to B. 
Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah, actually, something that I have reflected just uh, since, you know, the COVID hit, it was about the well-being. Sometimes we are really focused on, you know, our success as professionals that we even forget about uh, taking care more about ourselves, right? And I think well-being is something that is key because if you don't feel, you know, good, either if you are stressed or things like that, you, that's going to impact your work. That's going to impact your success at the end of the day. So for me, uh, something that has been uh, critical during these months, it has been the well-being, uh, taking care more about myself and not just about, you know, workout or, you know, just catch up with my friends over the phone, with video calls all the time. It's more about, uh, you know, like gratitude. Uh, I'm not quite, you know, like kind of fun uh, to write down and journal and all of that. I'm not like that. But since this happened, uh, I have next to my bed like a little notebook where I have like write down my kind of gratitude journal, let's say. And it has worked really well. And I, it's something that, you know, for well-being, I think I recommend to do. And um, yeah, so it's really, really interesting. So thank you for sharing your, your experience, uh, Lorena. So I wonder uh, if you have any advice for someone who is starting in the marketing, uh, you know, field, because obviously you have uh, right now, you have achieved uh, one of the most, uh, you know, like high levels of the market for the marketers, right? Like VP of marketing. But I'm wondering for someone who is just starting like an intern who may who might be a first generation student. So what could be like your recommendation uh, to go, you know, next in their career? I think people, regardless if it's marketing sales or, or, or any of the realms of, of revenue, I think you need to be smart enough to know and start to see trends on how the markets are going to move, right? Um, and then start your career based on that if you really want to make it. Because, for example, when I was studying uh, my career in marketing, this is just a, one of many examples, content was not a thing. I mean, yes, you, you would create email marketing campaigns, those, 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 those things, but it wasn't like a, like a department. It wasn't a a function of the marketing machine. Today, content is one of those areas that it's, uh, it's so crucial and so vital that you have entire departments of, of, of just content. So, and, and I knew that was gonna happen. So I, like the first thing that I did coming to the US was starting a blog, for example. I've always been very good at writing. Uh, so for example, I, I, I just finished my, my first book. Uh, I finished it through, through the pandemic, uh, not to brag or anything, but I finished it in 21 days because uh, it's something that I've always feel very passionate about. Uh, and when I got here, I said like, I'm gonna write a blog that it's one week in English, one week in, in, in Spanish, one week in English, one week in Spanish, and so on and so forth. So because I knew that content was gonna be a thing, I forced myself to understand why, why we needed to educate our customer because communications were moving so fast and now you had this hyper-informed user that started 
to 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 show some lights like around like around 12 years ago so the recommendation would be that be vigilant enough of the trends that you see happening or changing in the market and then move your career around that i'm not saying become a, a content marketer like this but understand the area be dangerous enough because marketing at least um, the difference between marketing and sales is that marketing is so broad that you can focus on so many things at the same time and if you become um clumsy around which area to start you need to have yes a specialization in, in something in order to become what i call a master generalist is something that right now i i i feel very proud to be um i am the i, I like to call it the the jane of, of all trades um i am very dangerous in in all areas of marketing but i am specialized in for example in branding in customer marketing those are the things that are my stronger suits uh, ABM demand generation, but it's only because through these years I started to see where things were moving. For example, SEO and SEM, they are still super super important, especially in a pandemic um, stage where everything went digital. But it's not the strength that SEO and SEM used to have for five years ago. Let's say uh, same thing with paid acquisition. Um, so I, I think that that would be the, the advice that I would give to people, like try to specialize in something at the very beginning in order to become uh, a T-shaped people, what I like to call a T-shaped people. Um, and that's the way you're gonna, you're gonna be able to, to lead teams if that's, if that's your end goal. And then to wrap up, um, I would like to know more about your book. So tell me a little bit more about your book. This is your first one, right? Or or you have more? Because the, the blogging thing is something that, you know, I'm really interested in. And I am taking notes about, you know, one week English, one week in Spanish, because I think that it's a good way to, you know, be able to, to get to that audience that you have. Because for instance, in my case, so it's Latino. So obviously some of them, might be, you know, just speak, uh, Spanish speakers and others, maybe they just English speakers, right? So it's interesting that kind of, you know, how you balance, you know, like the, the blogging uh, thing. So yeah, tell me more about your book. It is, it is the first one indeed. Uh, it was, it was planned in the sense that it was, the only purpose why I wrote it was honestly was my mother uh, because she she's a person that enjoyed reading me uh, the most and since I started to write for the Forbes Communication Council and like some other groups I kind of stopped writing in Spanish at some point so um, on her birthday uh, this year I decided that since I couldn't travel to see her or pretty much do anything around um, hair, that was my way of celebrating someone that has been pivotal to my, to my, to my, to my development, right? Um, that's of course my, my mother. So she was the purpose why I wrote it. However, it's a story about, it's called La Mano Izquierda de Silicon Valley. Uh, it is in Spanish for a reason. Um, I am working as we speak in the English version because I think people need to hear that story. It's more like a memoir, but it talks about, uh, I am one of those marketers. Uh, actually, I've never met someone someone like me. I have always reported to the CEO 
Um, and with that okay. said, I understand this breed of people very, very well. So the book talks about, uh, first of all, my, my arrivings to Silicon Valley. Uh, second of all, how, how Silicon Valley or the Bay Area, um, people tend to think that everything that shines is gold. That's not the case. Silicon Valley has some hidden secrets and some of them are very dark and, uh, and you get to experience them as an immigrant or as a minority. Uh, so it talks a lot about this, a lot of the stories that I've been through. And, um, and, and it also touches on how to kind of bring that humanity back that I was talking to you about in the very beginning to the leadership levels, because there's this very common broad culture uh, around um, a lot of the young companies here in Silicon Valley uh, that I just needed to speak out. So it is a very spicy book, I would say, because all the stories there are real. There's, it's a nonfiction book. Um, it is currently in Amazon, uh, and I, I am telling you, I'm working in the English version, and probably I will release that um, next year. I don't know. I don't know if I'll release it uh, that soon, but I, it's my hopes that I, that I do that. Wow. Congratulations for that, because I guess, uh, you know, it's one of the things that most of the people, you know, they want to like write a book, but maybe they don't find some time or maybe never is a good time, but you have, you know, developed these uh, during the pandemic. So well done, <laughs> Lorena. And yeah, I guess uh, it's in Amazon in Europe as well, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, cool. Okay, so we're gonna leave the, the link in the comment section here in the podcast. So then anyone who, you know, part of our community who wants to enjoy the book so they can order, okay? So yeah, so we finished uh, this uh, interview. So thank you very much, Lorena. Absolutely. Thanks to you, Kelly. It's been such a, such a great time uh, talking to you and another Latina. Um, very, very fun that you're in Europe. I, I, I love to connect with people all around the world. So thank you. Thank you for your time and for the platform. Thank you so much. I am looking forward to keeping this conversation going on our social platforms, Instagram and Facebook at The Latina Boss. Seguimos adelante and see you soon.